Regrettably, I have to report to you that we are now the United States of hatred. I knew it, um, but this uh, Rush Limbaugh death proves it beyond any reasonable doubt. And it's a story that has implications far beyond Mr. Limbaugh. So I want to take you through this story in a methodical, fact-based way so you see the big picture uh, about a very corrosive thing that has now got a grip on the entire nation. So we begin with um, what happened yesterday right after the announcement of Rush Limbaugh's death made by his wife, Catherine, on his radio program. I sent out a tweet. Here was my tweet. Um, quote, the legacy of Rush Limbaugh is clear, the most successful radio broadcaster in history. Mr. Limbaugh provided a conservative balance against the dangerous left-wing corporate media machine. History counts few entertainers among those who made a difference in the country. Rush Limbaugh did. Okay, so if you want to, by the way, get on my tweet, it's just at Bill O'Reilly. So I think that was a fairly objective assessment of Rush Limbaugh, whether you love him or hate him. That's all true. It's fact-based. And it was my responsibility as a journalist to provide some perspective, all right, after a person of his stature dies. It wasn't my purview to comment on what he had said, what had happened to him, none of that. Just basically to say what was true about the man and how he affected the United States of America. That's journalism. That's what you do when there is an event. But that's not what we have. So the second part of this is right after I tweeted, a million other people tweeted, many of whom put vile postings on Twitter and Facebook and all the social media. And I mean hateful, vile stuff. None of that was sanctioned by the social media companies. They just let it go. So now we have a, a situation where they're saying, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all these things, they're saying, well, no, you can't put provocative stuff on. You can't put insightful uh, not insightful, being smart, but inciting hatred on our sites, but they allowed it. And there's no doubt. So we did a little research here and uh, we found out that there isn't anybody in any of those organizations that tried to prevent this. And they didn't issue any statement. They just let it go. Still up. Okay. So this morning, 24 hours after Rush Limbaugh dies, and he was celebrated on a number of conservative television channels and radio stations. Um, I do a syndicated radio program called the O'Reilly Update. And it's on about 300 stations cross country. It's more of a Paul Harvey 15 minute uh, thing. But within the 15 minutes, there's a four minute um, basically commentary on the news of the day. So here's what I said this morning. Go. Throughout his lifetime, Rush Limbaugh provided a counterpunch to the far-left media, which did not like that at all. Yes, Mr. Limbaugh made rhetorical mistakes in my judgment, but all of us in the media do. 
there is no moral mandate that you have to approve of Rush Limbaugh's style. However, to attack him and his family on the day he dies is, as I said, horrible behavior, unacceptable in a civilized society. Twitter allowed it. Remember that. Twitter allowed all of this hateful stuff to be posted. And so did the rest of social media. The Huffington Post was the worst as usual. The Associated Press should be ashamed. NBC News was hateful. Now, the NBC News thing I'm going to get into because there's an asterisk, uh, the NBC News was hateful, there's an asterisk, I'm going to explain it in a uh, No Spin News exclusive that you'll hear nowhere else. That's coming up in a few minutes. So th there's no doubt uh, that Rush Limbaugh's family and friends are grieving over his death. Yet the people who are attacking Mr. Limbaugh on the day of his death, they don't care how much pain they inflict on those family members and friends. They couldn't care less. Now, if I see that in my personal life, if I see somebody that callous, never will I associate or even speak to them. I don't speak to them if I see that kind of behavior in front of me. All right. If every American adopted my attitude, this stuff would die out. Now, let me give you a few more examples. This is a woman named Erin Ryan. She works for Crooked Media. That was founded by John Favreau and Tommy Vider. They were former Barack Obama staffers, so they founded this crooked media thing. So Ms. Ryan says, God has canceled Rush Limbaugh, all right, in a blaf blasphemous as well as an incredibly cruel statement. So now this woman is nothing. I mean, she isn't um, a force or an influencer. She doesn't do anything. She's a writer for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is a program on cable. Um, she's, uh, she lives in Los Angeles. She's in that showbiz crew, okay? Now, another one was posted by a guy named Luke O'Brien, the Huffington Post senior reporter. The Huffington Post is the worst um, of, of all of them. You, you just don't get worse. Media matters. is a different situation, but, but if you're just doing commentary... The Huffington Post were so O'Brien, Luke O'Brien says, racists and fascists are easy to spot today because they're all pouring out for Rush Limbaugh. OK, so again, uh, this is uh, he's nothing. He's not going to succeed in his career. He lives in Washington. I mean, he's just a hater. These are just haters, but they get paid by these companies. They pay them to hate. But beyond hate, it's savagery. This is savage behavior, not civilized behavior. You don't try to hurt somebody's family on the day a person dies. You would think that that would be uh, anathema, word of the day. Uh, that would be, um, you talk about a canceling offense, to try to hurt somebody's family on the day the person dies. So we looked around to see if there was any right-wing stuff in this area. This is interesting. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, obviously an avowed liberal and a pro-abortion person. And one guy, Doug Collins, a Georgia congressperson, one guy went after Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Supreme Court justice, when she died. 
couldn't find anything else. Okay, couldn't find anything else. This is on the right. When um, John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis died, one guy, another congressman from Georgia, Tommy Benton, went after him. But all of the other left-wing people who have died, the conservative forces on the day of their death and shortly afterward did not attack them. Now, that's the truth. Now, if I miss something, please send it to me and I'll absolutely put it on the air. So then the question becomes, if this is just from the far left progressive movement, if all of this hatred is just from them, then why are they embraced by the corporate media? See, that's the key issue here I'm trying to get at. So, um, you know, we have if you go to Twitter now, you'll see Rush Limbaugh rot in hell. And it's been up for more than 24 hours. And so if social media is going to protect us from Donald Trump and from other people who've been canceled, but they're going to allow this. So Congress has got to get involved with this because this obviously isn't any uniform code. They're knocking people off when they don't like them. Um, all right, here's the exclusive for No Spin News. So the management at CNN, I know this for a fact, told their commentators to tone it down. Don't attack Limbaugh personally yesterday. Okay, don't go after him. Either ignore him, which most of them did, okay, or keep it, keep it in bounds. Okay, that's CNN management. Now, remember, I've told you time and time again that the CNN people on television, they do what they are told to do. They are ordered to do things every day in which they do, which is why you hear the same language. And we've done those montages. So David Axelrod is probably the smartest contributor on CNN, left wing guy. You know, him, a, a Obama counselor. He wrote, quote, whether you loved him or hated him, there are very few people in between. Rush Limbaugh was indisputably a force of historic proportions. Over the past three decades, he did as much to polarize our politics as anyone and lay the groundwork for Trump and Trumpism, unquote. Okay, so that's okay. That's all right. Um, that's not a, a personal attack. It's not trying to demean him uh, and his family and his friends. And that's Axelrod. All right, now here's Stelter. There are two guys on CNN who are just rank haters. All right, Brian Stelter and Jake Tapper. All right, they just hate. Now you would say, well, what about Chris Cuomo? No, he's an ideologue. All right. Lemon, same thing. I know them. All right. Anderson Cooper, same thing. They don't hate. They're, they're just it's performance for them. Now it's performance. So when Chris Cuomo was working for the Fox News Channel, I helped him. And, but he was nothing like he is at CNN. And yeah, his whole family's liberal. So he's liberal. But believe me, he wasn't running around Fox News doing what he does now on CNN. He's much better off at CNN because that's where his... Uh, opinions lie over there. But Stelter and Tapper, they genuinely hate. They, they're just dripping with it. Here's Stelter, go. Limbaugh was arrested for doctor shopping in 2006, but went to rehab and the charge was dropped. Through it all, he remained a hero to the right, defending Republicans from what he said was the biased liberal media. Radio executives praised his storytelling abilities and his broadcasting talent. <laughs> 
Limbaugh was a GOP kingmaker and a close ally of President Trump. All right. So now um, they're going to hide behind CNN and say, oh, you know, it's just a report and this, that, and the other thing. And it, but you don't bring in, you don't bring in what has happened negatively to people when they die. I mean, Kobe Bryant is the best example of that. A, a woman, the Washington Post, after he was killed with his daughter in a plane crash. And I knew Kobe Bryant and, and he, he changed his life. He was a much different person when he was younger. She tried to do that and then she got hammered. So, but you don't bring in on the day they die stuff that has gone wrong in their life. And you just don't do that. That's savagery. You want to do a retrospective piece a week later. Okay. Okay. But you don't do it on the day they die. Everybody knows that. Okay. Now, NBC is a different story. They also issued a dictum. And these, these are quietly, these aren't put in print. They're not over the loudspeaker. They go from show to show. The boss sends the message down. That's how it works, verbally. So there's no track. And they said, okay, look, um, we don't want you to rip up Rush Limbaugh today. So uh, Ari Melber, Chris Hayes, Rachel Maddow, Lawrence O'Donnell, they ignored the story totally. Now, how you can be a news channel and ignore the death of the most important radio figure in American history, I, I don't know. I didn't do that. They ignored it. They didn't mention it because they didn't want to say anything bad about him because they would have gotten in trouble with the NBC brass. And then, of course, they want to say good about him. They didn't even report it. They didn't even mention it. But one person did. Joy Reid. Now, I, I don't really pay attention to Miss Reid. I have nothing against her. But everything is about race with her. Everything. 100%. And to me, I just don't live in that world where everything is about race. I don't. But Reed, she didn't follow the NBC instructions. Roll it. What I heard was a guy who took white Americans out there in the hinterlands and, and fed them a narrative of you're the victim. No, 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 you're the victim. Don't feel like there's any privileges coming to you. You're the victim. The brown people, the black people, the women, the feminazis, they're taking it from you. They're taking things from you. And it kept people so hyped, hyper and amped up that he then was able to turn that into politics. Okay, so that's mild, uh, you know, compared to what she usually does. But Joy Reid can do whatever she wants, whatever she wants to do. I mean, NBC will tell her whatever. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And, you know, that's the truth. Everything is expensive these days. You know that the government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD or text GOLD 
to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD or text GOLD to 65532. Okay, let's bring on our, our guest. And I don't have the sheet. I thought I had the sheet. He's got a new book. Ira Rosen is the man. You're looking at him right now after the book, Ticking Clock. All right. So I, I don't know Mr. Rosen personally. Our paths have crossed, but I do certainly know much about him because I was a big friend of Mike Wallace. And Mr. Rosen produced for Mike Wallace and tells a lot of stories about him in the book. Um, so how, how long did you produce for Mike? I was with Mike from 1980 to 1989, and then I came back in 2004, and we, we were working together, but we didn't do stories at that time. Okay, so you uh, went from 60 Minutes to ABC, uh, Primetime Live, right, with Diane Sawyer and Barbara Walters, who didn't you like each other. And, and, and I read your book, Ira, and I, knew, I know all these people, and I know exactly what you're talking about. So it was very interesting to me to read the book. Um, and we'll talk about it in a moment. But first, I want to get your opinion. So you were at Network News, the highest level. 60 Minutes was the most watched network news broadcast of all time. And there were standards at 60 Minutes that you had to, rigorous standards that you would adhere to, correct? Yes. That's changed, has it not? Well, when I was there, I, I, I was 26 years old when I was hired by Mike Wallace. And Mike taught me that you, you can have a point of view and you can have an ideas, but park it at the door. Park your views at the door. And, and we, you know, what I learned from Mike, Mike was a fan of Ronald Reagan, for example. He at one point was offered to be Richard Nixon's press secretary before Ron Ziegler got the job. And what Mike, you wouldn't know what his views are, whether he's Democrat, Republican, liberal, or conservative, um, based on anything he said or the way he conducted interviews. Chris Wallace has taken a little bit of that from his father. Chris, Chris basically asks hard questions of both sides, and you don't know where his views are either. And um, when I was with Mike, we did a story on Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter, he didn't like Jimmy Carter personally. Uh, and Jimmy Carter went after Reagan, and Mike was squirming in his chair. He was thinking about, oh, my God, what am I going to do to answer Nancy and stuff? But you know what? He played it straight down the middle. He called balls and strikes. He called it fair. And when you looked at the piece, you felt that Carter got a fair shake. And that's what Mike brought to the table. He, he, um, he was a genius at knowing exactly what button to push to get a reaction out of an individual. But as far as his point of view and politics, you didn't really know what was going on with him. So what's changed? Why has it changed in uh, the sense that every news organization on television now, every single one is infused with ideology? And I can prove that 50 different ways. I've studied it. I know the people. I know what they're doing. Corporations run the organizations. If you watch the... Uh, Biden town hall last night, there wasn't one tough question, not one tough question for Joe Biden. He was allowed to ramble and do whatever he wanted to do. It's a tremendous opportunity. I mean, when you say something like we're not a divided country, you would think that Anderson Cooper, who you speak well of in your book, you would think that he might go, well, maybe not. Right? Well, I think what's gone on is you have, uh, the, you know, you have Fox here, you have CNN here, and everybody's trying to get after that segmented part of the audience. 
and what you have to do is as the reason I was successful was I gave everybody a fair shake. I listened to everybody's, you know, I, I would smoke cigars with Al Sharpton uh, on one point and then have dinner with uh, Senator Coburn later in the evening. Um, you know, I, I appreciated people who have different points of view and, and they came to me and with stories, uh, both but sides I, but of the Ira, But Ira, that's it's, been, gone. it's gone. That's been it's gone. Remember, that's what I was, that's what I was going to say. Here's what's changed. Why? And what's changed is that you have reporters for major news organizations who cover the White House. And suddenly then they go on CNN and they, to use your word, bloviate about, uh, about the person they're covering. That's not the tradition. I don't understand that. I don't understand. You don't know why, why it happened? You don't know why it happened? No, I have no I idea quite, why it happened. Well, they're getting paid as consultants. That's why it's happened. They're now well, to mani management to wants that. You, you know where it started with Dan Rather. Dan Rather was the was the guy that took it from Cronkite, who was a, an avowed liberal Cronkite, but nobody knew it. He hid it. All right. Rather took it into an activist posture and it ultimately bit him in the Bush, the younger story that about the National Guard turned out to be bogus and then Rather was humiliated. But Rather was a partisan. I worked for him. I know. I was at CBS. All right. I know that he, he wore his liberalism on the sleeve and there was a little attempt to rein him in, but not much. But after that, then the floodgates opened and now it's all about money. We're going to target this audience. They'll come to us. Look at the New York Times. How radical left an organization is that? Why? Because they're making their money on subscriptions to liberal people, not, not to con conservative traditionalists. So that's what they give them. Am I wrong? But you got you to break, break down the New York Times and the Washington Post based on the reporters. And when I was covering the opiate epidemic, you know, I, I took an honest look at this thing and I, and you know who, who did the worst, who, who caused the opiate epidemic to skyrocket? It was during the Obama administration. I mean, I got Eric Holter on the phone, who was attorney general at the time. And I said, you're not doing anything. Look at these numbers. The numbers speak for themselves. I mean, well, we're, we're arresting some doctors. That's not stopping the opiate epidemic. You gotta, you gotta call balls and strikes. If you're a reporter, you can't say, oh, this they is going to be Ira, they're not doing it. They're, look, there's a report. The lead reporter on Trump for The New York Times ran 131 stories with anonymous sources. Would Don Hewitt allow you? It's harder to do that on TV, but you could still do it. Right. Would he allow you to do 131 stories on a president with anonymous sources? Would no, he? That, wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. But, you know, Don, Don was pretty vigorous about giving both sides a fair shake. And I mean, you grew up in that period of time too. You knew Mike Wallace. I mean, Mike was one of the people that you admired, I know. Um, and you know, he did, a, he did a profile of you, a terrific piece. Um, but you know, Mike asked hard questions. Mike was a guy who, when he sat down with somebody would, you know, when he sat down with uh, Jimmy Carter, I remember this well, Jimmy Carter was criticizing Ronald Reagan's uh, human rights policies. And he said, why is he doing that? Because he's a callous man. And it was like, it was a brilliant question. It was great. Um, and you don't get that anymore. You don't get that kind of thing. But People I'm still are trying to, Ira, I'm still trying to get the why out of you. 
I'm, I'm doing what Mike would do. Yeah, you're, you're right. We don't get you it learn. anymore. Where's the new Mike Wallace? There isn't a new Mike Wallace now. It's all ideology one way or the other. You can't even get an obit on a guy as successful as Rush Limbaugh without them dancing on his grave. You can't well, even get I, an I, obit. No, I felt the same way when Don Hewitt died. A producer went in, on a website and said, just because somebody dies, he, it doesn't mean you have to say nice things about him. Will you let him absorb seven days of shiva? Yeah, I mean, my God. You know? I mean, I, I was troubled by that. And, right. and I agree with you on that point. Would, would it be fair to say that the money has overridden the ethics in journalism, that they all know they can make money by catering to a group, whether it's far left or far right, they can make money there and that's what they're going to do. And people are ordered to do it. Um, and, and that's it. Would that be a fair statement? No, I, I, I don't agree with that. I think what no? you have is, no, I don't. I mean, what I think you have right now is when, when I was working with 60 Minutes and Mike and Don, 60 Minutes ruled the roost. It had the audience, 30, 40 million people every Sunday. Today, you have thousands of different outlets. Everybody who, you know, bloggers in pajamas is the way we fondly called it, sits, sits in a bed and blogs, and people don't know the difference between him versus another one. So people feel like they need to go after a segment of society uh, whether it's liberal, conservative, whatever, and they need to, that's the way they're going to earn their money. But I don't think it's per se that, you know, oh, we have to do this. Although if we cross the line, uh, it's going to make a difference. As Listen, I, I was trained by the very best and it was, it was a great training grounds for me. And, and it was basically, you know, people are black and white cookies. They're not, they're not good guys, bad guys. People are kind of a combination of this. Anybody working anywhere else in other news organizations caught your eye? Well, I think Chris Wallace is, uh, I work with him for a lot of years at ABC. I think he's incredibly fair. Um, do you think you know, that he gave Donald Trump a fair shot? I do. You do? I in do. the first I debate, think... in the first debate, do you think Wallace gave him a fair shot? Well, I think that would, that, that was you know, that debate turned into a shit show. I mean, I, th I don't, I think <laughs> everybody lost control of that thing. All right. um, okay. Now so you write I about Chris and Mike Wallace. They had a fairly troubled relationship, right? They did at one point and they ended up in the, at the end game, make it up. But um, the, uh, there was a story there that um, Chris was wanted to do a profile of Chris Rock, the comedian. And uh, he was all excited about it. He mainly did a lot of investigations. And so one, he's sitting down with Chris Rock and he finds out that Chris Rock would rather do Mike Wallace. And so Mike Wallace ended up stealing the story from him. So I call up Mike and the way we did things back then, there was no, hello, how are you? It was just, you start talking immediately. And so I got on the phone with Mike and I said, are you ripping your kid off? You're stealing the story about, from uh, Chris Rock. And he said, what's it to you? I said, listen, you have a choice. Either Chris Wallace is going to speak at your funeral or you could do the Chris Rock story. You're not going to get both. <laughs> and so he right. says, let me call you back. And so he calls me back 15 minutes later and he said, I solved the problem. I said, how do you solve the problem? He said, I gave it to Bradley. I said, Mike, you're still ripping your kid off. What are you doing? They ended up not talking for six months or a year or something. They ended up making the peace. But um, yeah. You know, I, I knew I knew I know both of them very well. Uh, Mike Wallace better than Chris. Mike Wallace, very, very nice to me. And he was my 
role model along with Howard Cosell and Tom Snyder. Um, you write, though, in your book that Ed Bradley, the guy you just referred to as getting the Chris Rock story, he comes across as the only one who really enjoyed his fame from 60 Minutes. The others were fighting, infighting. They had depression. They had angst. They were, you know, on edge all the time. And I know that to be true. But Bradley kind of like just took it and ran with it and had a great time. He had a great time. He would go out on the streets. He'd tell his producer, hey, let's take a walk. And he'd go on the streets and literally meet his fan club. You know, and he enjoyed that thing. He, he had a share in net jets and he would fly wherever he wanted to go. He had <laughs> seats near the uh, floor of the garden. I'm, I'm sure you've seen him there, you know, yeah. where he would go to Nick games and, you know, he, he really enjoyed life. He was, um, he was a guy we all admired. We all looked up to, he was an extraordinary interviewer. You know, he's a former radio guy. So he has this great voice. Um, and everybody and loved him. Every, uh, you know, everybody I don't know loved anybody. him. I don't know anybody who didn't like Ed Bradley. Quick story, it's not in your book. And the other one, last, last thing was, the other guy we all loved was Bob Simon, who also right. tragically died in a car accident. He was amazing. Right. Um, I was in the end, uh, elevator at CBS with Andy Rooney uh, going up to, and you don't spend a lot of time on Andy. I know you didn't know him because you were on a, uh, with Wallace and doing the stories out in the field. But I was a young reporter at Channel 2 in New York, and so I'm going up the, uh, the elevator with Andy, and he looks up, and he was like 5'4", and I'm 6'4", and he goes, you'll never make it, kid. <laughs> and he was deadly serious. I go, thanks a lot, Mr. Rudy. I really appreciate it. So that uh, sticking in. He was a curmudgeon, a real-life curmudgeon. The book, he, uh, uh, one, more, one more time. Diane Sawyer and Barbara Walters. I know this to be true, so I know Barbara very well. I don't know Diane that well, but I know her. They didn't like each other at all. What was the root of that? Well, let me just, I'm sorry, I have to tell you my Andy Rooney story, and then we could go to that. But Andy Rooney and I shared a cab one time, and it was, it was like a $20 fare. And he said, hey, kid, you got a buck you could give the guy? <laughs> I mean, he was, it was, even though he was doing quite well, he was, he was, he was like that. As far as Diane and Barbara goes, um, they were rivals. They were the Yankees and the Red Sox. Um, that's sort of what the root of it was. They competed for interviews and stories. Day in and day out. Yeah. And they uh, were both, I, uh, you know, divas, absolutely divas. And they wanted the airtime and all that. The book, uh, and I recommend it, Ticking, uh, the Ticking Clock by Ira Rosen. You really want to know the inside story about all these legends. There it is. Ira, thanks very much for helping us out tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you there for having are. me. Well, okay. bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now for perhaps the most important story of the night. White supremacy. Okay. Again, you will hear this nowhere else in this country. So I told you yesterday that my staff was investigating how many arrests have been made in the last two years of white supremacists for criminal activity. We have it for you. But first, I want to set it up again.
And it goes back to the president of the United States. Roll it. That is the greatest threat to terror in America, domestic terror. And so I would make sure that my Justice Department and the Civil Rights Division is focused heavily on those very folks. And I would make sure that we, in fact, focus on how to deal with the rise of white supremacy. And so I tweeted right after that, Mr. Biden says there is a rise in white supremacy. Where? I tweeted that out and I was immediately viciously defamed and attacked in the most vile ways possible by the far left loons on the Internet. Because I asked, where? Where is all the white supremacy stuff? I don't know any. I know thousands of people. I don't know any. On Long Island, where I live, there's no visible white supremacy. Now, on the Internet, I'm sure there are Nazis and kooks and Klan members and all of those things. I'm sure. But is it a pervasive problem that the president of the United States, I'm taking a whole Justice Department, taking everybody there. We're going to go to the after these white supremacists. That's how bad they are. That's how pervasive it is. OK, you want the stats? Here are the stats. All right. In 2020, last year, federal cases brought against white supremacists. Five. Number of individuals charged, 14. Whole year, five cases, 14 individuals. 2019, number of cases, federal level, five. Number of individuals charged, 75. Okay? How about the states? Let's take a look at all 50 states. Total cases brought by state law enforcement officials last year, three. In all 50 states, three. Total number of individuals charged, nine. In 2019, five. In all 50 states, eight individuals charged. Altogether, two years, 18 cases of white supremacists being charged, either federally or locally, statewide, and 106 people charged. Two years. Okay? Now, those are the facts. All right? You can't alter them. You can't spin them. This is this kind of problem right there. But now we got to all justify. You find. I guess they're not finding them. Not hard to find, by the way. Not hard to find with the Internet because that's where these people live, these kooks, these nuts. Okay, so then I asked myself, look, find out how many far left Antifa Black Lives Matter people have been arrested. Thousands. Thousands. On a federal level, more than 300. All right, just this year, just 2020, more than 300 have been arrested and charged. And the state level, we don't have all the stats yet. They're not in the FBI computer bank yet. Okay. But there are thousands because of Portland, because of Minneapolis, because of Seattle. Thousands of far left people, which include Antifa and the Black Lives Matter protesters. So 106 white supremacists, two years, right? And, and thousands. Yet Joe Biden, not worried about the thousands. No. So what's going on? What, what is really, really happening here? Okay. So the far left progressive movement, and that includes the media, which enables it. They were successful with the white privilege stuff. So they were successful in basically putting a message out that the entire American society, 
whether it be social, financial, uh, employment, whatever it may be, was dominated by white privilege. Okay, so if you were white, you're first in line, you get all the good stuff. And African-Americans and all the other minorities, they don't get the good stuff. Okay. Now, how Asian Americans fall in, I don't know, because they get more stuff than the white Americans do. All right. Because they are off the chart industrious, generally speaking. Okay. But this was a, a very successful campaign. Very little pushback on white privilege. You didn't hear people going, ah, you know, I don't think that's the case because they'd be demonized just as I was. When I said, where is the white supremacy? Wham! Let's get him. Let's slime him. Let's defame him. So he shuts up. All right? And that happened. Boom. Okay. So then they said, you know, this white privilege thing really worked well. Let's bump it up to white supremacy. And therefore, we can bring in the founding fathers who forged the Constitution because they were all white supremacists. So if we can convince the majority of the American people that the whole basis for the country, that means capitalism, the criminal justice system, the Judeo-Christian philosophy and tradition, all of that is based on racism. We can wipe that out and we can put in its place socialism, maybe communism. We can put in its place equity, favorable treatment for marginalized groups. We can do all of that. We can do reparations. We can give African-American families hundreds of thousands of dollars if we can get most of the people to buy into we're a white supremacist nation. That's what this is all about. Now, again, let's go back to Joe Biden. Does he understand this? No, he doesn't understand it. He's not even close. Right? He knows the progressive movement is pushing the white supremacy stuff. So he's going to, I'm ordering my Justice Department to crack down on the five cases that happened last year. Did you see any white supremacists looting any buildings? If you do, please let me know. Now, in the Capitol, there were white supremacists there. There were. The idiot that was carrying the Confederate flag inside the Capitol building did more damage to the traditional Trump cause. It's incredible how much damage that man did. I'll go in to the U.S. Capitol with a Confederate flag. Yeah, that's a real smart move, isn't it? That's what I'll do. It's just. And then you just look at him. You just gave. The forces of darkness, which are the forces that want to tear this country apart. You just gave them, all right, massive amount of ammunition. Hard to believe, but it happened. All right, so that's what this is all about. Now, uh, President Biden said uh, this week, I'm going to put a commission. This is when he doesn't want to deal with something, or when any politician doesn't want to deal with something. They, they establish a commission. So whenever you hear the word commission, that means a politician doesn't want to deal with it. So Biden doesn't want to deal with reparations, but he's going to have a commission to, to study it. What do you do with to study it? That'll take maybe 15 minutes. African-American families who had descendants who were slaves 
are entitled $100,000 or more uh, of taxpayer money. That's what reparations is. That's what it is. But Joe Biden wants to study it. Now, are you getting the feeling I have no confidence in Joe Biden's intellectual capacity? Are you getting that feeling here? Good. Because that's what I want you to know. I don't think the man is smart enough to run the country effectively. Now, in two years, I think that's going to be pretty vivid for all voters. And that might help Biden's opposition. I'm not real thrilled with the Republican Party, by the way. I'm not real thrilled with the way it conducts itself. There is an excellent article by Nikki Haley today, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal I urge you all to read. Uh, I know her a little bit. Very smart. And the uh, op-ed is about the Republican Party. And, and I think you all should read it. It's, it's very well thought out. Let's get to the mail. Rusty Rowe, San Antonio, Texas. And I hope you're okay down there, Rusty. Bill, periodically you say that 2022 could be a turnover of the House and senators to the conservative and Republican Party. But what about the cheating mechanisms the Democrats have in place? You see, that question falls apart when you understand that the Republicans gained 12 seats in the House in November. So, yeah, I think there was some fraud in a presidential election, but it's not that the whole thing is rigged. Tim McSherry, Hermosa Beach, California, in L.A. Bill, your crystal ball has been remarkably accurate recently. Can you take a quick peek and let us know if President Trump will run again in 2024? Not the Super Bowl, though. I was wrong on the Super Bowl. I was happy Brady won, but Kansas City just did not play as well as I thought they would. I can't tell you whether Donald Trump will run again. I can tell you he wants to maintain political power. That's for sure. Can't say whether he's going to run again. Um, that will depend on the economy, how Joe Biden does with the economy. Hakeem Rashid, question, Bill, if impeachment is largely a partisan Democratic attack, as many conservatives assert, then why was this impeachment the most bipartisan in our nation's history? Because there's only been two others. All right. And... Um, in the House, the vote was 232 to 197. That's close. And in the Senate, 57 to 43. So this was no slam dunk. It was a party line thing with a few defections. Ralph Brown, Frisco, Texas. Bill, what is wrong and has been wrong with conservatives? Why is it liberals have a stranglehold on so many critical institutions in America? Because of the education system. So um, colleges turn out journalists and lawyers and politicians and all of this. And these colleges are pushing this left-wing agenda like crazy. In some colleges, it's 10 to 1, liberals to conservatives. That's the genesis of why the country and the professional core has gone left. Nathan Parker, I just shipped a copy of Mike Lindell's video to the Attorney General of Te Texas. I hope he will watch it. He's not going to watch it. Lin, Mr. Lindell, my pillow guy, has to file a complaint, all right, before any legal action would be taken. He has to file. So you're going to say, oh, watch Mike Lindell's video. The Attorney General is not going to do that. He'd do it, I think, if there was a formal uh, situation. Sharon, concierge member. Thank you, Sharon. Your questions for President Biden during the town hall tonight were perfect, so perfect and realistic they'll never be asked. And that's exactly what happened. It was a powder puff. No doubt about it. 
Um, let's see. If you pre-order Killing the Mob out May 4th, we'll take 50% off Killing Crazy Horse. You'll like both books. So that's a great deal. BillOReilly.com bookstore. And no cods wallop when writing to us. Back with a final thought in a moment. All right, a final thought is basically a bookend to what we opened with tonight. If you are angry and distressed and depressed over the presidential election, we understand. But now we got to move forward here. All right? We've got to regain the country. We've got to stick up, stand up for traditional values in America. This is our mandate. We, the people, have to save the country from the progressive forces that would destroy it. You see it. Every progressive-run city is falling apart. They couldn't even get heat in Texas yesterday and today because of this insane alternative energy is God philosophy that President Biden embraces. We have to fight. Don't get depressed. Get annoyed. Spread the word about this broadcast right here. We will become the power central of the traditional movement. See you tomorrow.